is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome to Bad Boys and Beyond. I am your host, Mike Payton. With me, as always, is Keith Black Trudeau. Keith, uh, that was Saturday by the or Saturday night by the Bay City Rollers. That was the number one song in America the day that Adrian Dantley got drafted. All the way back in 1976, I believe Adrian Dantley is the oldest player that we've covered so far uh, at 67 years old. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. And uh, also, real quick, I thought for the longest time that Bay City meant like Bay City, Michigan. It doesn't. It really doesn't. I'm pretty sure they're talking about San. No, I think I'm pretty sure it's San Francisco. Oh, you know what? That makes more sense to me. <laughs> but yes, when I hear Bay City, I think of Michigan. Right. And it's interesting. I've never even been to Bay City, Michigan. But anyways, uh, today we are going to be talking about the teacher. Or Teach uh, is another name that is apparently on his uh, basketball reference page. Adrian Dantley. Uh, Or or just AD as George Blaha referred to him. Or just AD, yep, as as old George Blaha would refer to him. Yep, and this is going to be an interesting show because we are talking about a player who really was only in in Detroit for like three and a half seasons, four. Two and a half. Two and a half, less than that, yeah. Uh, but made a big impact. So let's uh, let's just jump right into it. Let's go all the way back to Maryland, uh, to what was Dematha High School? Yeah, Dematha High School. Uh, everyone would know it today. Certainly, if you're a Michigan basketball fan, you would know because Hunter Dickinson also went to Dematha. Uh, but between Adrian Dantley and Hunter Dickinson, there's about there's about two or three dozen uh, high profile. Uh, college and NBA basketball players that attended DeMatha. Uh, Piston fans, most notably, would remember uh, Jeremy Grant. Um, most of the Grant family went to DeMatha, but it, Jeremy among them. After DeMatha, so, uh, he goes to uh, to to Notre Dame, yeah. Notre Dame, with yeah. the Hunchback. And, and this is where we're going to get into uh, – look. I, I try not to throw numbers uh, at our listeners because I think too too many statistics, it, it gets jumbled, it gets boring. No one wants to hear numbers being thrown at them. But with Adrian Dantley, it's kind of inescapable because the man was the very definition of a walking bucket. He put the ball in the basket. That was his first best and most important skill. And he was very, very good at it. Uh, we, we're going to start at Notre Dame. Uh, it's interesting because he joined, uh, he joined Notre Dame right before, uh, the NCAA eliminated the rule against freshmen playing basketball. So he was the very last class, uh, I believe to not, uh, be allowed to play the last freshman class to not be allowed to play division one basketball. And that is the only reason, the only reason why he is not Notre Dame's all-time leading, uh, scorer. Uh, 26-point career average. Uh, The second year, look, people today don't think that Notre Dame is a a basketball school, and I don't blame them. Notre Dame hasn't been good in decades. Well, not really good anyway. Uh, But people understand, in the 1970s, Notre Dame was a powerhouse. Uh, They were a Final Four contender basically every year. And Adrian Daly steps right in, and he just dominates them. as I said before, 26 uh, point per game, uh, roughly career average at Notre Dame. Uh, as a junior, which would be a second season, uh, over 30 points a game in college basketball without a shot clock. Uh, he, he retired, well, he he leaves Notre Dame uh, as their 
the second all-time leading scorer behind uh, Cleveland Cavaliers announcer Austin Carr, uh, who's very quick to who will be very quick to tell you he is still Notre Dame's all-time leading scorer, which is again he like 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 Dantley he he was only there three years, so that's really impressive. And uh, Luke Hangready, uh, if everyone remembers him, uh, he passed up uh, Adrian Dantley for that number two spot, but. You know, Luke obviously played for four seasons. It looks uh, like so. If, yeah. if I, it looks like maybe, yeah, uh, Dantley and Lambeer played together for one year at Notre Dame. Uh, briefly. Yeah, yeah. for but Lambeer's freshman but, year, he was he was yeah, there. As as we went over though with with Bill Lambeer, he was never even at uh, as a senior, he wasn't that impactful of a college player. So yeah, he he played. I I don't think I I know he he played a role. He was a rotation guy. His all four years or all yeah. But I I don't know how much time they shared with each other on the court, uh, especially you know when they reunite uh, in Detroit. You know, over a decade later, uh, it's not like they had a it it didn't feel like they had a pre existing relationship. Uh, I'll, I'll put that I'll put it that way. But well, you were right about the 70s. Uh, just during that time, looks like Kelly Trapuca was there. Yep. Uh, you know, Orlando Woolridge. And after Woolridge, yeah. this thing takes quite a dip down. Uh, yeah, I don't, Ellis, I don't remember, maybe was the um, last great, great player. If, if anyone remembers the, the great uh, college basketball analyst uh, uh, on ESPN, uh, Digger Phelps, uh, he was the guy that made Notre Dame a powerhouse in the 70s. He, he was the guy that recruited. He was the guy that coached. Uh, let me see when he left real quick. Uh, 19, yeah. Oh, no, he was there throughout the 70s and the 80s. So I don't, I honestly don't know why Notre Dame fell off in the 80s. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's enough about Notre Dame basketball for this episode. Uh, but it is it is pretty fascinating if you're a college basketball fan. Go ahead and look up the uh, the amount of talent that flowed through uh, South Bend in the 1970s. It's actually pretty fascinating. All right, uh, but between uh, Notre Dame and the NBA, I, sh- I should probably mention uh, Adrian Dantley uh, after his senior season participated in the 1976 Olympics. Uh, Surprise, he was also the leading scorer on that team by a good margin. Averaged a little over 19 points, uh, dropped 30 in the gold medal game, I believe, against Yugoslavia. Uh, Once again, uh, by far, he was by far the best player in that team. And that's that's a team that had Walter Davis, the Greyhound, on it. Uh, This was a – I won't say this was a typically dominant – a USA basketball team, but they went undefeated and they won the gold. So, you know, they, they, uh, yeah, they, not a good team. <laughs> yeah. Not, a good, they went undefeated and they won the gold, but yep, you know, past that, I'm not, I'm not going to say that I, I watched every game from the 1976 Olympics. I, I didn't, I watched, I think one. Let's just say it wasn't the dream team and and we'll, we'll take it at that. And then, well, I mean, most, <laughs> most, USA Olympic teams, you know, outside of, I think, 1960 uh, and 1956, you could say that about. There were, they had, you know, four or five elite college players that went on to be elite NBA players, and the rest were just kind of, you know, guys. Well, after that, he, he enters into the NBA draft, the 1976 NBA draft, and he gets selected sixth overall by, wait for it, the Buffalo Braves. That's right. The Buffalo Braves of Buffalo, New York. Buffalo had an NBA franchise for a while, and they are now the Los Angeles LA Clippers. Yep. Yeah, it was actually pretty cool that Buffalo I, – I kind of – look, I'm not going to say Buffalo should have an NBA franchise because there's about 12 cities that probably deserve it more. But I think it is pretty cool that they, that Buffalo did have an NBA franchise back in the day. And so, as you said, Adrian Antley goes to Buffalo, who has uh, Bob McAdoo just a year removed from winning the the league MVP, and he's a, a former scoring champion. Uh, they have uh, uh, Randy Smith, who was one of the great playmaking guards. Uh, 
of the uh, mid to late seventies. This team is so they mo they had Moses Malone for like ten minutes. <laughs> they had Moses Malone for a few games, and Moses couldn't even really get run uh, for them. But Adrian Danley, as a rookie, steps right in and still averages twenty points a game on a team with all of that firepower. They weren't very good, mind you, but they had a lot of really good guys, uh, really good uh, playmaking scores. And yeah, he averages twenty. Straight straight away, his rookie season wins Rookie of the Year. Uh, Bob McAdoo doesn't last the entire season. He does get traded uh, to the Knicks. But if you look at Adrian Dantley's numbers, he was putting up those numbers with or without uh, Bob McAdoo. It's not like the, the shots just freed up for him. He, uh, Adrian, And this is a good uh, point, I think, to talk about Adrian Dantley's game since we haven't yet. Uh, Adrian Dantley went about 6'4", maybe 6'5", about 2'10", 2'15". Uh, most big forwards that are, you know, quote-unquote big forwards that are short, that short, they usually um, compensate by being big wide bodies. Like, you think of Charles Barkley, for instance. Uh, Adrian Dantley was anything but. Adrian Dantley was, I don't know what his body fat percentage was, but it was he was minuscule. I mean, he was a workout warrior, but it's not like he was like, you know, big muscular. I mean, it was all like, you know, lean, uh, lean muscle. Uh, but he was in excellent shape. He was strong as hell. Uh, he was just an impossible. And and I, I, if people remember our Corliss Williamson episode where he was too uh, quick, he was he was a tweener, but he was too quick for the tall forwards, uh, way too strong for the small forwards. That's kind of what Adrian Dantley was. But Adrian, that was Adrian Dantley, like, was Corliss Williamson times, like, 50. Uh, he he just absolutely could not – there was no defensive answer for him for pretty much his entire career. Broad uh, shoulders, too, like, like – just... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was strong. Like, he was short, but, yeah, he was, like, really, really strong. And – there, there was really no defensive answer for him. If you put a big forward on him, he was quick enough where he would just go by him. Uh, he was very – he wasn't a great athlete by any stretch, but he was almost like Rip Hamilton where he he could run all, all game without getting tired. He was, he was in just great shape. And especially in, in once we turned to the late 70s and the 80s when it became a fast break lead, I mean, he fed all uh, – he fed on that because he could run fast breaks all day and finish them and not get tired. And God forbid you put a small guy on him, he would just beat him beat him up in the post. Uh, Adrian Dantley had one of the greatest collection of uh, head fakes and spin moves and just overall deception that I've ever seen in a basketball player. Um, it's weird to make this comparison because he's not a guard, but I like uh, comparing him to James Harden. Because James Harden is a guy that's that's not a great athlete at all, but he winds up putting points on the board because he understands the art of scoring better than pretty much everyone in the league. He understands how to draw fouls. Uh, he understands how to use leverage, how to get angles. Adrian Dantley was all of that. And the, the very worst part about it was, much like Harden, Adrian Dantley did not need to be in rhythm to make shots. He could stand there and pump fake you to death 15 times. He would not lose his rhythm. If, if you fell asleep on a 16th pump fake, he would make it. Uh, that, that is the, the level of concentration, uh, level of intensity that he played with uh, every single game. Uh, he, he demanded the ball. Uh, he, he was always, almost always the best scorer on any court he walked, uh, walked on. And as we go to the uh, – and, and the thing is, I also like James Harden. I think his isolation-heavy style of basketball kind of wore on teams. Uh, I think it wore on teammates a little bit because even though he could play in his rhythm, it was hard for everyone else to play in theirs. And I think the big difference between Dantley and Harden is that Dantley, although he could pass, he wasn't a heavy setup guy. Harden would at least get people involved. Uh, Dantley was – getting himself involved. That was what he was about, which is, that's fine scoring. It's a part of basketball, but uh, I, I think that rubbed a lot of his teammates the wrong way. And I think it rubbed a lot of coaches the wrong way. Uh, defensively, I, I'm going to leave with this defensively. His, he's actually pretty good was again, because of his height and his lack of overall athleticism, explosion, 
he was very limited on what he could do defensively, but effort was never really a problem with him. Uh, and certainly defending the post, uh, like for his size, like because he was so strong and, and he did play hard all the time, uh, he was actually, I would say, a decent to at his best maybe. I don't at his worst, I think he was a, a mediocre defender. At his best, I think he was actually pretty good. Well, he's going to win Rookie of the Year with the Buffalo Braves. Um, but as you and I talked off the air, he's going to have like a kind of a weird early, early yeah. uh, start to his career where he's a good player, but it seems like teams don't want him. He's 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 with Buffalo. He gets sent over to the Indiana Pacers. He's only there for twenty three games. Uh, and and he, then, he averages twenty seven points in those twenty three games. Points. And, and they then, still say we have had enough of this guy. And the Pacers, yeah, the Pacers sent him over to the Lakers for future Piston James Edwards and Earl Tatum, um, and cash considerations. Apparently, uh, I don't, you know, I mean, I love James no. Edwards, but like he's not, he's not Adrian Dantley, and Earl Tatum wasn't Adrian Dantley either. I don't even remember I mean, Earl, Earl Tatum, Tatum was good. Yeah, Earl Earl Tatum was okay, but I mean, it, the, the trade was mostly for James Edwards, who was a young bit with, you know, great height and a lot of athleticism. I mean, I, I could kind of see that being a, but again, you, you talk about having a young big, Adrian Dantley was only in the second season. Um, it's not like he was old, uh, but yeah, Adrian Dantley kind of, semi finds a home with the Lakers for a couple of seasons. Uh, but as you can imagine, having a, an ISO heavy guard or, or a forward, a guy that demands a lot of touches every game playing alongside Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in his prime, who will also demands a lot of touches. It's, it, it was a really weird combination. Like if you look at their numbers, they both got theirs. Obviously, uh, Adrian Dantley's numbers in LA dip a, dip a lot. He only averages, I think, 18 points a game, but he still leads the NBA in free throws attempted one of these years. Uh, he was still that good at getting to the line. I mean, it's not like he wasn't getting his touches, but I, I think once they got embarrassed uh, by the Sonics uh, that second year in 1979, I, I think it was kind of clear that Kareem and Adrian Dantley didn't weren't translating, you know, as a combo to wins. Uh, they were getting theirs, uh, but not everybody else was getting involved, obviously. And, you know, what do you know? The the, the greatest point guard in NBA history uh, comes available uh, that summer in the draft, and the Lakers have the number one pick. So, you know, Magic Johnson walks in. And if anyone uh, out there has watched the HBO show Winning Time, Danley is uh, mentioned when, on there, and somebody plays him too. Well, I don't even think he's even mentioned, but if there's a there's a player here that's that's clearly him. Uh, when when Magic Johnson first gets to the, his his first training camp, there's a member of the Lakers that's constantly uh, he doesn't like Magic's uh, happy go lucky attitude. Uh, he tells Magic Johnson, you know, we don't want you here. Uh, he he actually starts a fight with Magic Johnson in the middle of a practice. Sounds like he's uh, but I don't think. Yeah, I don't think he's ever named, but that is clearly Adrian Tanley. Well, it, uh, says, is... it, it says, at least on the IMDb page, that Terrence Davis is the actor who plays Adrian Dantley. Yeah, so, okay, so they, they do, okay, so I don't, I, yeah, I don't remember if they actually named him in the show or not, but yes, that's clearly supposed to be Adrian Dantley. Yeah. And before that season ever starts, uh, they, they trade, the Lakers trade Adrian Dantley off uh, to Utah for uh, a veteran, uh, power forward named spencer haywood and this which, is where that's where dantley I, that's where dantley misses his first championship yeah <laughs> that's a good point poor guy uh but yeah spencer haywood nowhere near the quality of player at that point that dantley was but it did make a lot of sense uh for them to free up uh the ball a little bit for magic and kareem as opposed to having dantley on there and it's not to mention you had Jamal Wilkes on that Lakers team, who was, you know, he he was also a really good scorer. So it didn't make a whole lot of sense to keep Dantley around. And you you could argue even from a per, even without the personality conflicts, you you could argue that it was just a better team without Adrian Dantley, uh, which is kind of crazy to me, uh, to say that after I've just 
uh, after I've just uh, promoted him for the last 10 minutes is, is this generational score, but it, it was true. It's, you know, basketball works that way sometimes. Well, with the uh, but, jazz, he's uh, he is going to be—he's not—he's not just going to be become a great player. He's an all-star. He's an All NBA player. He's leads the league in scoring twice. Uh, you know, we'll we'll dig more yeah. into this, but like uh, this guy averages thirty points a game four years in a row, and somehow never wins an MVP award. Well, I mean, well, that's because we have guys like uh, Larry Bird and Moses Malone and Julius Irving. You know at that time it was I, yeah I, I get it today he would win an mvp he'd at least he'd at least win one i mean i he, i don't know. He, he might yeah because i mean russell westbrook won one by essentially hogging the ball at a you know <laughs> generational level so i mean who knows but the, the utah jazz they're not the jazz of today they are a floundering franchise that had just moved from new orleans to utah when adrian Dantley got there and they are not a good team, and they're not a good team for most of his time there. Uh, however, what that also means is that Adrian Danley gets the ball when Adrian Danley wants the ball. And, boy, uh, this this is the least talked about stretch of 30-point of games in NBA history, and I think it's the most underrated because of how good he was. Just a quick, uh, very, very quick aside, very quick side note before I forget it later on. Um, if anybody who's ever seen basketball – there is probably one of the funniest lines of that movie is uh, when they're explaining teams moving from from different states, where they say the Lakers moved to Los Angeles, where there are no lakes, and you and the New Orleans Jazz moved to Utah, where music is not allowed. It, <laughs> it, always, it always makes me laugh every time I hear it. Okay, I'm done with my dumb stuff. You go on to the uh, the the real stuff. Oh, you're good. For. Um, all right. So, yeah, very first year there scores 28 points a game on. On a ridiculous 58% shooting. Uh, and if that's not enough, he doesn't even make an all-star team until the second se- his second season, at which he, he ups that to... Actually, no, it, it's just about the same. 28 points per game, uh, 56% shooting uh, his second season. Now, he is an all-star his first season, I misspoke. Uh, and then his second season, uh, he actually earns his first scoring title, uh, ups it over 30 points a game. Uh, he makes his first all NBA selection. I'm, I can't remember where he fell in the MVP voting, but I'm sure I, I know it was a close race between Bird and Dr. J that year. I think Dr. J won. Uh, so I don't think he was really in the discussion because Utah was still very bad. Uh, but that's kind of, I mean, uh, 80, 81, 82, same thing, 30 points a game again. Uh, and he's an all-star every single season in Utah, except for 83, where he got hurt. But in 83, he he still averages over 30 points a game. Uh, in But he would have qualified for his third scoring title uh, by far, but he didn't play enough games to qualify. He only played, you know, 22 games. Uh, but what he did do uh, that season, uh, he has a uh, game against the Chicago Bulls. This is the pre-Jordan Chicago Bulls, but still. Uh, scores 57 points, uh, shoots 20 for 27 from the field, uh, 17 for 22 from the foul line. This is the, the NBA has actually been gracious enough to uh, put this game on. Uh, I'm not sure if they still have it up there, but for, for League Pass subscribers – NBA.com had Adrian Dantley's uh, 57 point game up there. It is just a master class in, in uh, not only drawing fouls, but cherry picking. Like it is the, it is the least enjoyable 57 point game I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it is crazy efficient. Uh, he, he, he is just dominant in it, but the whole game is basically Adrian Dantley um, taking advantage of guys, uh, pump faking guys into fouls, uh, leaking out uh, into fast breaks to where he's getting uncontested layups, you know, by the handful. But again, I, if it were that easy to do, everybody would be doing it. And he was the only one doing it. And 1984, uh, he qualifies again with his, uh, for his second scoring 
title. He plays enough games this time. He averages just under 31 points a game. And he is so historically good in this season. I know Bird wins the MVP. I'm sure Adrian Danley was probably in the top five. He had to open him. Um, <clears throat> it's not just the 30.6 uh, points per game uh, that, that stuns me. Uh, it is the fact that Adrian Dantley uh, makes 813 foul shots. And to put that number into context, uh, the the number two uh, player that year in free throws made was Moses Malone with 545. Uh, yeah, let, let let me let that sink into context. He he attempted 200 and what? 268 more foul shots than any other player. Talk about uh, a guy who knows how to get to the, the line. Or the line. Uh, uh, everyone and their brother complains about James Harden today. Uh, it is 67 more free throws than James Harden's ever attempted in a season. Uh, it is the fourth most free throws that anyone in NBA history has ever, has ever made in a season behind Jerry West, Wilt Chamberlain, and Michael Jordan. And, you know, through sheer force of will, because it's not like the Jazz have accumulated talent over this time. They're still not very good. Uh, but he wills them, basically wills them to 45 wins, uh, which earns them the number two seed in the West. Uh, averages 31 points a game uh, in the first round of the playoffs against the Denver Nuggets. This is the very first time the Jazz have qualified, by the way, in Adrian Danley's, what, one, two, three, four, five years at this point in Utah. Uh, in the, in the second round, uh, averages 33 points uh, per game against the Phoenix Suns. The, the Suns were a 60. They were a 500 team, but they were red hot uh, going into the playoffs. And the, the, they were just a – it's weird but to say this, but they were a better team overall than the Jazz were. They just were. They had more talent. Uh, that was They had a lot of young players that were just starting to, to peak at the right time. But even doing so, uh, Adrian Dantley drops 46 points in game five uh, to keep the Jazz alive. 16 for 27 from the floor. Uh, for this for the series, he shoots 65 for 73 in six games. Uh, just just in, just incredible. Uh, <clears throat> but the Jazz do get eliminated uh, before the conference finals. The, the, the Suns, to their credit, actually give the Lakers uh, a good series in the conference finals. So I, it's hard to really uh, ding Dantley and the Jazz for losing uh, losing to them in this series. And so 1985 comes along, and you can kind of see where it's going to go downhill because this is the year that the Jazz draft a young point guard by the name of John Stockton, who is not their starter at this. He doesn't start for the Jazz as a rookie, but he's a pretty good backup. And uh, Adrian Danley's points go down a little bit, uh, just under 27. I know that's that's a lot, right? He's right. still averaging 27 points a game. Huge drop and off. we call it a down year. I'm sorry? Huge drop off. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, they go up against, you know, the Twin Towers, uh, a, a young Twin Towers duo of uh, Kim Olajuwon and Ralph Sampson. Uh, doesn't really matter. He's still averaging uh, 25 points a game in that first round series. And the Jazz beat the Rockets. Uh, and then they, he averages another 26 points per game uh, against a very, very good Denver Nuggets team in the second round, and they lose. Uh, but the point is that it, it it's not just Dantley, you know, racking up 38, 40 points in, in mid-December games against last-place teams. He's getting buckets against everybody, good teams, bad teams, playoff teams, whatever. Uh, he, he is giving you 30 at that point uh, on roughly, roughly the same efficiency, and he's fouling he, – all of your big men are going to spend their time on the bench in foul trouble just because he's so good at manufacturing points. And as I said before, this is starting to, this is where you can kind of see uh, his time with Utah fall apart. And the reason for that is uh, what happens the year after the Jazz draft John Stockton? They draft Carl Malone. They draft Carl Malone. Uh, Carl Malone, who was also a, a big forward also demands the ball and also likes to score a lot of points. 
And even though you could play Adrian Dantley at the three, I mean, for most of his career, he did play the three. But he he is a power forward in the small forward's body. I mean, he, he and Malone, even though Malone, you know, much bigger, taller, much more athletic, uh, but they both got their points roughly the same way in transition, in the post, uh, drawing fouls. Danley went about doing it very differently, but it was still the same thing. And even though uh, Danley was still getting close to 30, even with Malone on the team, uh, it it became a problem because Malone very early on, uh, he was clearly a franchise type big man. And Adrian Danley was not ever going to accept that, you know, giving up touches to, to a rookie or a younger player. His his ego just wouldn't allow for that. And it, it, I think that led to a clash with Frank Layden, who was Utah's coach before Jerry Sloan in the early to mid eighties. And it, it was just a personality clash that those three parties could not get along. And it, it was just crystal clear from the year one of the Danley Malone pairing that much like Kareem and, and Danley, uh, they, they just weren't going to mesh. You know, it wasn't going to translate to wins. They could probably have both gotten their points, uh, but it would have been, it would not have been good team basketball. And so for the second time, well, uh, how many trades is this for him? He was traded to Indiana, then he was traded to the Lakers, and he was traded. So this is the fourth trade. This is the fourth Adrian Antley trade. Uh, And and this this is kind of the one that we're all here to talk about, right? Right. Uh, where the, where the Utah Jazz in the summer of 86, in uh, the ultimate irony, both of these teams are trading guys that didn't really want to be there. And then and by the end of their careers with these teams, were sad about getting traded. Well, I don't know if Danley was that sad, but he was very successful in Utah. Uh, so the Jazz trade Adrian Danley to Detroit for another uh, a guy that had made several all-star teams, Kelly Trapuca. Uh, who was also a very good scorer, who also got to the line a lot, who was much younger than Adrian Danley, probably by four or five years. So for, from Utah's perspective, it, that was probably the deal that they wanted. Uh, it's not didn't turn out the way that they wanted it to. Uh, Kelly, Kelly Tribuco was very bad in Utah, or at least very unproductive, I would say. Uh, it was just a bad fit all around, but... They didn't uh, end up protecting him in the uh, in the expansion draft. Yep, and I think they were very happy to, to, to let him go with that because he was making so much money from the the, the contract he signed with the Pistons uh, that it just wasn't worth what he was with the production he was giving them. But by, by the way, before we before we go, I just want more jazz thing. Um, but both and, of these guys know their game products, by the way. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, uh, one more jazz thing though. Uh, if Mark Eaton could score points, he'd be one of the greatest centers of all time. Um, we'll never, we'll probably never talk about Mark Eaton again. But four point six blocks a, a game that year—that's yeah. that's an NBA record that's never been touched. You want to talk about a guy that was perfect for his era? That was Mark Eaton. Yeah. Uh, in the nineteen eighties, when. The, the goal of the game was to attack the rim and get to the foul line and get offensive rebounds. I mean, that those were the, the three keys of any NBA game played in the 1980s. And uh, Mark Eaton took all of that away. Mark Eaton was a, a not only an enormous human being, but he had a great knack for blocking shots. And it, it the game was essentially played in the paint and really, unless you beat the Jazz down court for fast breaks, uh, you were not scoring in the paint against Mar- Mark Eaton. No, nobody was. Elijah Wan had trouble doing it. Kareem had trouble doing it. He was just so good at blocking shots. It, it's crazy. You, you mentioned the amount of shots he did block. I mean, think about the amount of shots he altered uh, every game. Just crazy. Yeah. All right. So uh, On to the Pistons. Yep, on to the Pistons. And... I'm going to make this clear that it was a great fit. It wasn't just a good fit. It was a great fit uh, for Adrian Daly on the Pistons. Uh, They had struggled uh, for years with this uh, free-flowing, up-tempo offense. 
where they were winning games and they were scoring a lot of points, but in the playoffs they would get murdered because they couldn't, they didn't have anyone that was effective in the half court style that you run into when you get to the playoffs, the game slows down. Uh, they got Adrian Dantley for that. And another reason, which I'll get into uh, a little bit later, but they, they do struggle a little bit to start that 86, 87 season. Uh, but once the, once they figure out their stride, their pecking order, once Adrian Dan- once Isaiah Thomas gets used to playing with with Adrian Dantley, uh, you can see this is when the the Pistons for the first time in their franchise history become a legitimate top five team in the NBA, become legitimate championship contenders. And Adrian Dantley was that 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 final piece that gave them uh, legitimacy from a talent standpoint because now you have Isaiah and you have Adrian Dantley, two elite NBA players with a, a this great supporting cast and now they're just and they're just often uh often running uh adrian dantley if you look at his detroit numbers i mean he goes from averaging close to 30 a game in utah in 86 87 in detroit uh he only averages 21.5 points per game but here's the thing though he is still the pistons leading scorer at 21.5 points per game and the pistons win 52 games that season and it is the most games that they had won to that point with Isaiah Thomas. And not only do they win 52 games, but they advance in the playoffs for the first time ever past the second round. They they absolutely destroyed the Bullets in the first round. Uh, in the second round, uh, they played the Hawks, who were the two seed in the, in the East that year, and they wiped them out in five games. And now we, we get to the... Boston Celtics series, which we've covered not uh, two weeks ago with our, yep. our holiday special with the Pistons Celtics rivalry. And I mentioned that Adrian Dantley, the, the main reason I think the Pistons got Adrian Dantley uh, was because these Boston Celtics had no answer for him. Uh, he was too strong for Bird. He was too quick for McHale, way too quick for Robert Parrish. Uh, I don't want to say that he could guard many any of them either, but he I think he did a credible job because uh, he could play their their physical style of uh, basketball. He wasn't going to be pushed around, but man, on the other end, uh, he he was just especially the thing. It wasn't just the fact that he could score points against Boston's uh, half court defense, which was the stingiest in the league at the time, but it was the fact that he could draw fouls, and especially with Boston's. Here, here's let me exp, uh, explain something about the the Larry Bird Celtics, especially uh, 87, 88, uh, 86. They did not have a deep bench. Uh, their starters, Danny Ainge, Dennis Johnson, Bird, Parrish, McHale, played well over 40 minutes a game, just about all of them. So if any of them got into foul trouble, they were hurt. And Adrian Dantley it was one of two things with Adrian Danley and McHale, either he was drawing early fouls on McHale and getting him out of the game, which severely hurt the Celtics getting him out of the game early or uh, McHale and bird would be too terrified of fouling him. And they would just let him go. And he was getting embarrassingly easy baskets Uh, in, in that 87 conference finals. Averaged over 23 points a game shot almost 58% from the floor. And the the crazy thing is, uh, like it should have been more because it, again, as I went over in the uh, Pistons Celtics uh, episode that we did, uh, Adrian Dantley and Vinny Johnson with with the Pistons, I don't want to say in control of the game, but they were very clearly leading the game uh, through three quarters. Uh, they dive. Uh, for a loose ball at the same time, they crack heads. And Vinny Johnson is able to get up and, and walk away with a concussion. Uh, Adrian Dantley's unconscious. He is just flat unconscious. He is out. Uh, they had to take him straight to a hospital. Like, he doesn't even get to see the end of the game. The only and thing that you, could take you, him out was himself. <laughs> or, well, Vinny Johnson's. Yeah, Vinny Johnson's head. He, he had a big head, and Vinny Johnson had, had a bigger head. <laughs> um yeah, the uh, it's kind of a sad way to end because you would have liked to see 
how that game would have ended with with uh, both Vinny and Adrian Dantley, uh both able to play because those were both Celtic killers. Those were the, the two big Celtic killers on the Pistons, <laughs> even more than Isaiah Thomas. But so there, that season ends on a sour note. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't like the, the Pistons come right back because they know that they probably should have won that series, and they come right back in 1988. Uh, Adrian Dantley's minutes go down. His efficiency actually goes up a little bit. Uh, he's still averaging just about 20 points even, uh, but the Pistons are even better that season than they were the year before with him taking fewer shots. He's still their leading scorer. I want to emphasize that. It's not like he's taking a backseat to anybody. He's, he, he, his touches are simply going down from what they from what he's used to. And the, the Pistons win their first division title. They win 54 games. Uh, they go right back, uh, get their rematch against the Celtics in the 88 Eastern Conference Finals. They win it uh, with Adrian Dantley averaging, I think, 17 uh, points per game. Uh, he, If you look at his volume numbers in that series, he was not great. Uh, but I, I remember a lot of key moments in, where the, the Pistons needed a, ba- uh, a basket uh, to clinch the game especially in games, I think, three and five. I I vividly remember uh, Adrian Dantley got the the big buckets at the end of those games uh, that essentially won them for the Pistons. And this comes to, I think, Adrian Dantley's shining moment uh, in Detroit, which is the 1988 NBA Finals. So... Go, I'm sorry, go on. Yeah, well, he's good. He's going to help. Yeah, they help the Pistons get to the finals. And it's this is going to be his first finals experience. And unfortunately, it's going to be his last uh, against the Lakers team that had that had traded him, which yes. I he didn't he never all these teams that traded him, he never really forgot about that. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll say this uh, in, in the finals, he was ridiculously good in the finals. Uh, his very first finals game, uh, and the Lakers apparently were unfamiliar with Adrian Dantley's game, ha- having only seen him for 12 years in the NBA to that point, because they are the only team in the league that I've ever seen in a playoff series against Adrian Dantley say, we're going to single cover him. We're not going to, we're just going to treat him like anybody else. And Adrian Dantley puts on a historic performance uh, on the road in game one, uh, scores 34 points, uh, shoots 14 for 16 against the poor AC Green, who is just so, so hilariously overmatched. Uh, it, it, I, I will put a, a video of that game uh, on my on my Twitter later uh, because it is it, it looks like a rec league game. Uh, how easy he scores these buckets, and it's not because no one else is scoring buckets like that. But Adrian Danley, everyone is so scared of fouling Adrian Danley that they kind of just let him go. It, it honestly looks a lot like James, a lot of James Harden's games, where guys just let him go and instead of trying to block the shot because you're so afraid of fouling him. And everyone remembers that 88 uh, series for Isaiah Thomas's heroics on the Pistons side, but honestly, that, that series was all about Adrian Danley. Uh, if, if you look at the games the Pistons won, uh, Adrian Dantley averaged almost 29 points a game in those games. Like, he, when when Adrian Dantley broke free, the Pistons won. And in their four losses, uh, he only averaged – he averaged under 16 points. Like, that, that is a huge discrepancy for, for a seven-game series. And and it was kind of – that that's how it went. Like, when Adrian Dantley was going – uh, the the Lakers could not stop the Pistons, and when he struggled, the Lakers found ways to claw back and win. And the, as we all know, the Pistons lost to a heartbreaker in that finals to the Lakers. Uh, but everyone knew they would be back, and everyone figured Adrian Danley would be it would be the same cast of characters because they've been so successful now through two playoff runs. Well, then things are going to get. Uh, a little interesting here, and anybody who's seen the Bad Boys uh, documentary, the 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 thirty for thirty knows that um, there's going to be some problems here between Isaiah Thomas and Adrian Dantley. But not just that; there's going to be some problems between Dantley and Chuck Daly. 
there's gonna be some problems between Dantley and Jack McCoskey, uh, or McCloskey rather. Um, you know, I think I think maybe the Pistons wanted to kind of uh, limit Dantley's role a little bit and get Dennis Rodman in the starting lineup, and uh, I don't think Dantley was ever willing to do that. Yeah, the, the, you're, that's correct on on every account. So. All right, all right. First of all, let's let's start with the the elephant in the room, which is Dennis Rodman. Because even though Adrian Danley, well, I would never accuse of being a lazy defender or a bad defender, Dennis Rodman was a generational defender, and that's obviously something that appealed more to Chuck Daly than a guy that could score a lot of points. And I don't think Adrian Danley really ever understood that, because every like ninety percent of what Adrian Danley understood about the game of basketball was how to score points. I mean, he could write a, he could teach a, a master's course on how to score points, but I, I don't think the, the value of, of being a great defender really sunk in with him. Like, I don't think it seemed to me like he never really understood why uh, Dennis Rodman was being, being valued uh, that much, but I mean, it is what it is. Uh, Rodman, who was entering his now his third year in the NBA, was really starting to come along. Uh, he was a a legit defensive player of the year candidate at this point. And and the thing is, uh, at this point, Daly wasn't even trying to start Rodman. He was just giving him more minutes off the bench. And because Rodman and Dantley essentially played the same position uh, at that time, you know, his minutes came at the expense of Dantley, and Dantley just couldn't deal with that. And and here's the weird thing. I, the, the documentary treats this as a big personality clash between Dantley and Isaiah Thomas. If, if you look at their first two seasons together, there was no, at least on the court, their chemistry was great. Uh, I think it started to deteriorate that third season when he started demanding the ball more uh, during his time on the court because he wasn't getting as much time. And I think that probably more than anything probably – hurt his relationship with Isaiah. And so this all came to a head and look, Terry Foster said it told the story better than me, better than I can on the, in the documentary, you know, it, it, it turned into like a shouting match between Dan, uh, Daly and Danley uh, in the middle of a game <laughs> in a, in a loss uh, in Boston where Danley's trying to pull him Danley out. Danley hadn't gotten his shots yet. And, it turned into a, this thing turned from a great relationship into a toxic one so quickly. And I don't think anyone really understood uh, why or, or how, how to fix it. And so Jack McCloskey, the Pistons GM, he, some say, well, it was that Isaiah asked him to do it. And I, I see no evidence of that because, you know, trying to, look at the situation through uh, McCloskey's eyes, you you could clearly see that a change needed to be made, which unfortunately for Dantley, that, that's the story of his career. In LA, a change needed to be made. Utah, a change needed to be made. Now in Detroit, a change needed to be made. And w especially with Larry Bird uh, out for that season, uh, Dantley is no longer needed now that the Pistons have surpassed Boston and Boston is no longer a threat to them. Uh, which is kind of sad because that's, you know, he's the one that Boston was the big boogeyman in the Eastern Conference and Danley got them past Boston. And it's kind of a cold world in the NBA. Now Boston's no longer relevant. And McCloskey essentially looks at Danley and says, we don't need you anymore. So he ships him off to Dallas uh, for Mark Aguirre, who is also in a bad situation where he's not wanted there, but what he has going for him is he is one of Isaiah Thomas's best friends on the planet earth. And he knew that Isaiah Thomas would make that relationship work. Uh, but I'll, I'll say this, not, you know, a lot of the, the Pistons were not on board with losing Adrian Danley, uh, who, by the way, and I want to emphasize this again, when they traded him, he was still the Pistons leading scorer with all this going on. He was still scoring more points than anyone else in the team. It's crazy that the Pistons traded their leading scorer and and won a championship uh, out of that midseason. Um, I don't I don't know if anyone else has been able to say that in NBA history. Well, I mean, ultimately, you know, obviously, it it formed a better team unit. Uh, 
you know, they were able to get yeah. Rodman into the starting lineup and that defensive presence really helped. Mark Aguirre was willing to come off the bench and, um, you know, so yeah, I, I mean, I know that Danley feels like, um, uh, Isaiah wanted to just get him out of town just so he could get his best friend here. But I, I don't know. I mean, ultimately it, it, it proved to be the right, the right move because Stanley is going to take like, you know, a pretty, pretty big dip in his play, uh, ability after leaving Detroit. Uh, he's going to, I mean, he goes to Dallas, um, in 89 and, and he's going to play 31 games there and he'll average 20 points a game and that's fine. But the year after that, like he just plays 45 oh. games and then it's almost over. He, well, he broke his leg. That That's right. why right. Uh, Adrian Danley probably could have played another four five, six years in the league. He probably could have played till age 40 at the, the level of shape that he was in. Yeah. I mean, clearly his, his skills were, or his, his body was at least deteriorating. His skills were deteriorating a little bit. As you can see, even at 34 with in, in Bangladesh, he was still giving 15 points a game in less than 30 minutes. I mean, someone would have found a reason to at least bring him off the bench. But, you know, the the broken leg, the, obviously the injury just ended all of that. Um, And he comes back and he tries to play for Milwaukee, but you can see the effects of that. He's averaging six points a game. and He essentially is forced into retirement. Uh, he goes, plays in Italy, but... I mean, that was kind of it for him, which is, is really – I want to add this. If, if you ever look up quotes about Adrian Dantley um, after the trade, uh, he, he is it, it is some of the saddest stuff to read because he's really heartbroken about leaving the Pistons. Uh, everyone thinks of him as this villain in retrospect. And to, to an extent, he kind of made his own bed in Detroit. But the fact is he didn't want to leave. Uh, he He – he valued when he valued his chance at a championship. He thought he had finally found a home in Detroit. And then just in like half a season, uh, it was all kind of taken away from him. And I think that should be uh, put in the proper context uh, because he, he never really wanted to leave. It's just something that had to happen. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a business and it, uh, it sucks. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Tobias Harris a couple of years ago, you know, after he had been traded three or four times, just kind of asking, like, you know, why am I always the guy getting traded and all this? Yeah. You know, he's found a home in Philly, and that's, um, and that's great for him. But yeah, I mean, some of these guys, you know, even though they're great players, they just wind up, they just don't fit, you know. And uh, and and that that was Adrian Dantley's problem. And I I think ultimately you mentioned the villain thing, and we'll and we'll move on to the the legacy part of it now it's hard for, for me to not look at Adrian Dantley as the guy who like was just, you know, uh, who clashed with everybody. And, and I, I, I can't, you know, it's hard for me to think of him in any other way because, you know, I'm, I'm, I wasn't alive when Adrian was one of the best players <laughs> in the league, you know, uh, all, all I, I was just barely. What I know. Yeah. All I have is what I, what I know and what I've seen. And, and, um, and and I will I will give him the credit that that Dantley's Dantley's arrival really turned the Pistons from like a good team into a contender, but ultimately he just you know he wasn't the the final piece that the team needed to win a championship. All right, and I want to qualify that with this: the Pistons could very easily have won the championship in 1988. Hell, they could have won the championship in 1987 had they gotten past the Celtics. So I, I do see that a lot on Twitter that the Pistons were never going to win a championship with Adrian Danley. Well, that bullshit. Uh, because they very nearly won two with Adrian Danley. And it's not like Adrian Danley did something to lose uh, to lose them. Uh, the key games that, that that essentially ended their seasons in those games. Like, he wasn't the one that, that threw the inbounds pass to Larry Bird, all due respect to Isaiah. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't the one that sprained Isaiah's ankle and, and forced him to not be able to really play in game seven. Like the, the, they lost for reasons that had nothing to do with Adrian Dantley. And when Adrian Dantley was cooking and at his best, uh, the Pistons at those times were able to beat anybody. And, and I want to emphasize this again, the, the, the Pistons may not have the legacy that they have today. Had they not traded for Adrian Dantley, he was the one that got them, uh, 
to the point where they could make moves thinking like a championship contender. Like he was, the, they were not a contender before trading for him. At one th- after they had traded him, they, they, he had gotten them to that point. So I, I think a lot of respect should be paid there as opposed to looking back on it and say, man, you know, that guy. Like it, Piston fans especially should look on Adrian Danley's career with, with a lot of respect, uh, even with the understanding that when he was traded, he needed to be traded. But don't don't forget what he did for the franchise the two seasons prior because that was that was really, really good stuff. And for, I mean... Him and Isaiah, like, they were lockstep those first two years. Like, they were both laser-focused on winning a championship. I have no I, – I can't speak to their uh, – how they got along off the floor or their personnel. I don't I have no – I don't know anything about that. I just know when you watch that Pistons team play from those two seasons, those first two bad boy years, um, there was no evidence that he has any issue with anyone. It was just Adrian Dantley doing his thing and Isaiah Thomas facilitating that. And they, they were both, their goal was to win the whole time. Well, I got, I got to say, you know, this is uh, not to get on too much of a rant here, but this is kind of a problem that, that Detroit sports fans have. Uh, a guy gets traded and all of a sudden we're supposed to hate him. Like we're booing Blake Griffin for some reason. Uh, TJ Hawkinson oh. gets traded from the Lions. And, and yeah, he said, you know, he said what he said, but he wasn't wrong when he, when he said it was nice to be somewhere where he could win. Uh, so no, it's not we, that. It, uh, yeah, to, I mean, to be fair, to, to be fair, Blake, I'm, I'm not going to say that's not a problem with the Detroit sports, but I will, I will defend the booing because I, I was one of the people that said Blake Griffin should be, you know, applauded his first game back, and then Blake Griffin went and got into a, a thing with Beef Stew and got Stewart ejected in his first. Game. That's why, to me, that's why he got booed. I like, yeah. I was booing him at that point, and I'm, I'm the guy that prides himself on perspective, but like. <clears throat> I you know, like, I feel like he was you, you come in and, and pick a fight with our guys. Like you're on the other team now. I'm going to treat you like any other player. Like I didn't. I w- I'm not booing him because of yeah. what he did or didn't do in Detroit. I'm booing him because you know he was the jerk that got Isaiah Stewart ejected. I feel like he was booed before that, and then he decided that okay, you guys gonna, I'll be the villain. I'll I'll just be the villain. I'll go at you know, and and that's when he started acting like a jerk. Because there was this whole there was this whole idea that, you know, Blake and not to make this the Blake Griffin show, but Blake gets traded and then all of a sudden he dunks and then everybody's like, oh my god, I, he could have done that the whole time and blah blah blah. Yeah, and, that and was just, silly. Some Pistons fans got mad about that, but that it is what it is. Um, on to the next thing, you know, our final question of this episode is: Could Adrian Dantley play in today's game? This is so weird. Because if you look at him and his game, uh, 6'4", 215 pound, uh, small forward, uh, not a very good athlete at all, uh, you you would think, that, oh my God, there's no way this guy could play today. But who, 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 who have I compared him the most to since we started this show? James Harden. James Harden, who, who last I checked still plays today. Uh, and despite being in his mid-30s, is still pretty damn effective. Do I think that his, and he's a far better defender than James Harden ever was, uh, but do I think his game would have to change today? Yeah, because I think he would have to give up the ball a lot more than he did. But in, I'll tell you what, um, the one thing that doesn't ever go out of style in the NBA is putting the ball in the basket. And as I said before, Adrian Danley could do that uh, as well as anyone that's ever played the game. Uh, his knowledge of just his, his footwork, his knowledge of angles, his knowledge of uh, using leverage, uh, all of the pump fakes that he could do, his ability to stay in rhythm and make shots after, and, and still make shots after five, six, seven pump fakes and two spin moves. And he, he, he will still make a shot if you fall asleep. Like he, I cannot over, overstate this enough. He, he frustrated more guys into just quitting on defense than any guy I've ever seen. Michael Jordan, Le, you know, LeBron is up there too because people would get tired of fouling LeBron and getting dunked on anyway. But just just Adrian Dantley made guys quit. Like that's how good he was uh, offensively. He made some of the best defenders I've ever seen just quit trying and just hope that he misses. And James Harden had a lot of those. He does a lot of that today. Uh, with how he plays the game. So I, I think 
Uh, I think absolutely that Adrian Danley could play today. I just think he would have to change his game, which I think he could. I wonder, though, if, if there's a question about, you know, he has like no outside game, whatever. And I know, you know, the yes. NBA is a different it, animal back then. And, and he's a power forward, small forward player. But he has 41 three-point attempts in his entire career. Um, it's just now, so now Adrian had range, but you're right. It wasn't anywhere near three-point range. His, his range probably maxed out at 17, 18 feet, which is about four to five feet inside the three-point line. And that was really his bread and butter. Um, that's a good point. Um, not just his unselfishness. He would have to play more unselfishly, and he his range would have to increase. I see no problem with him doing that. Um, I could be wrong. Just I... I, I, I a lot of guys that couldn't shoot back then, uh, that couldn't shoot three pointers, they because they they had never practiced that shot in their lives because there was no value to it. Um, I I think Adrian Danley, if if he were to come along in in twenty twenty three as a as a sixteen year old, I I think he absolutely uh, he could have he could have extended his range another four to five feet and and shot those three pointers, especially with. Uh, his set, like the set shot uh, that he had, which was remarkably effective because he his feet never left the ground even when he did shoot the ball. So anytime he pump faked, uh, it looked like he was going to shoot, even though his feet were still on the floor. And that allowed him to get by so many guys. So imagine if he could shoot three pointers, 25 feet from the basket, and he got a guy off balance, he would be getting to the lane at will. Uh so I, I think that there's an argument that he might actually be better if he could adapt his game today. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Maybe maybe it's because the three-point line didn't even exist until he had been in the league for like three yeah, or four years at exactly. that point. So, um, so yeah, it's just, it's just something that, you know, and it wasn't in college either. It was just something that the ABA was doing. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for Adrian Dantley. The, uh, um, Interesting, interesting player. Uh, definitely, you know. Oh, you know, we never even mentioned his weird free throw warm up thing that he did, where it was like he was holding a crystal ball, and yep. he was going to tell everybody on the courts their future before he actually shot it. Uh, no, you're absolutely should, right. He, he, look he, at that. Yeah, uh, he. It, it was so weird. Yeah, you're right. He, he rubbed it exactly like you would expect someone to rub, like a fortune teller rubbing a crystal ball. Uh, but, I mean, he, he shot, what, 82% for his career for a guy that attempted uh, a ridiculous amount of free throws. I don't even know how many free throws this man attempted. Um, um, 8,351 free throws attempted. My God. Um, this man was just an absolute... Uh, he just an absolute beast at getting the line. Just that, that 84 season still sticks out to me. 813 out of 946. This man nearly attempted a thousand free throws in one season. Uh, okay. Just crazy. And I, I also want to point that uh, he, he's hit the 50 point mark six times in his career. Only I think 14 players in NBA history have, have done that more often. That's yeah. It's just, that's crazy. Um, so yeah, that's going to do it for Adrian Dantley. Next week, we have, uh, uh, another great guest. We're going back to the, uh, the draft. Well, again, the 1998 draft, this is going to be a fun one. Dirk Nowitzki, Paul Pierce, Antoine Jameson, Vinsanity is going to be in this draft. Um, the, the most underrated draft class of all time. Yeah, It's not, not the 96 draft, but it is probably if the 96 draft didn't exist, we would be talking about this draft. Like it was the 96 draft. Jason Williams, uh, Skip to My Lou is in this draft. Uh, Rafer Alston. This is going to be so much fun. Yeah, this is it's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to this one. Uh, tractor Trailer too. There's gonna. I wonder if Tractor Trailer is going to go in our redraft next week. But we are going to be joined by M Live um, Detroit Lions beat writer Ben Raven. Ben is a, a a friend of mine and a colleague and a former college basketball player himself the tallest man on the Detroit Lions beat by far uh, basketball, a big basketball fan, big, you know, not a historian level quite like Keith, but
but uh, definitely is another guy who who I think can can hang with us and um, looking forward to to uh, having him on the show. And um, before we get out of here, I do want to thank, you know, everybody who follows us on Twitter. And, um, you know, we put out kind of a, a little thing the other day where we were asking people to kind of share um, our podcast with your friends and, and on Twitter and, and you, uh, you know, elsewhere. And, and a lot of people did. I think we got about 100 brand new followers off of that. So thank you to everybody who, who shared and welcome to all the new followers and, and uh, please keep sharing. And, and, uh, and some people added some, some stuff that we could talk about on there. There's some really interesting things that uh, Keith and I are going to have to discuss. And um, there's a lot of stuff that on there, maybe we'll have to do some sort of like mailbag show soon where we just answer questions for people, but yeah, definitely uh, go check that out. Bad boys beyond on Twitter. Uh, Give us a follow. Tell us what you want us to talk about. We're we're open. We we're we're gonna make a new schedule soon, and and we've got uh we've got a lot of open slots. So let us know what you want to hear, and we're gonna do it for you. Uh, until then, we'll see you next week with the 1998 NBA draft.